Hey everyone, Chris Lopez here, and in today's episode, we'll talk about the December 2020 Denver real estate trends. So we'll talk about the MLS data for the month of December. I'll also give you a couple updates on some landlord rent collections as well. Found a really interesting um, study on what landlords have been able to collect. So two reminders, I always like compare data from you know year over year. So December 2020 data to December 2019 data, so we can account for seasonality and it gives us a better idea about how the current month is as comparing to past month as well. The second thing is I'm going to mention numbers, reference some charts and graphs. All that plus a lot more data is in the link in the show notes. So click that. That'll take you to the blog post with all the data, the charts, the graphs, plus a YouTube video version of this as well. So let's start off with inventory because this is an incredibly important metric. So inventory right now is just amazingly low. We're at just over 2,500 active properties at the end of the year. And so that's for detached single-family homes, condos, and townhomes. Everything that's a single-family home, you know, no, no multifamily, just single-family homes. The average year-end count since the mid-1980s has been about 13,000 properties on the market at the end of the year. We were at just over 2,500 this past year. So that is obviously a lot less. And comparing the inventory of 2,500 to last December, which is just over 5,000, we are about 50% lower inventory this December than we were past December. So again, low inventory. And another thing to keep in mind is that what we're seeing right now is the lowest inventory we've ever recorded for the end of the year. But this is also the biggest Denver's population has ever been. So the ratio of population to active inventory is even at a worse ratio than it was years ago. So even in previous years, we've had higher inventory. We've had lower population. So as population grows and inventory you know, shrinks, it just creates more of that demand side and there's less supply side. So part of what's going on here too, you know, with all this, you know, super low inventory is that we actually have had the continued trend we've seen for the last few months of actually having more properties under contract than we actually have active inventory on the market. So right now I'm looking at the graph that the Denver Metro Association of Realtors publishes every month. That's one of my favorite graphs out here where it shows the month-end active listings and also shows the month-end closed homes. So you can see where inventory just plummets and under contract looks like it almost goes up a vertical cliff on a graph. It's about as vertical as you can get on a graph without being completely vertical. They are just completely inverse of each other. So I would recommend uh, clicking on the link and glancing at it. It's really one of those images that's worth a thousand words. Look at the lower right of the graph and you'll see the blue line above the orange line, which is the under contracts going over active inventory. So right now, under contract, we have about 3,600 properties under contract at the end of December. The active inventory, again, was 2,500. So we have about 1,000 a, a more properties under contract than there are uh, active inventory. So obviously, this trend of more properties under contract than we have inventory, it can't go on forever. We've seen it for the last few months now. At some point, it can't because you know, we will you know, essentially run out of inventory if that's possible. I don't think it is. But, you know, at some point it can't be like that forever. Uh, but we are just seeing so much demand out there. And there's no indications that we're going to see a huge inventory build 
probably not until like you know the end of quarter two or quarter three as the economy opens up and hopefully you know covid becomes gets more under control and the vaccination gets out there so a lot of the other data as far as like you know months of inventory days on market all that it's it all supports this incredibly low inventory so i'm not going to go into all those uh those data points because all supports the exact same thing. So now since we have some year in data, let's talk about the total closing counts we've seen for the year. And again, this mirrors what we're seeing in low inventory. So in 2020, there are about 63,000 closed deals, which is up for about 7% from the year before. And keep in mind that in well, back in, uh, you know, April, May, June there, you know, the market hit pause on there. And really in that April, May time frame, we saw a lot of, you know, we saw closings drop by 50%, if not more by then. So for those couple of months, there were no, you know, inventory is not really moving. We made up a lot of ground. Plus we sold more properties than we did in 2019, which was not my expectation when the pandemic started. I don't think many people expected that, but that's what we ended up doing. To give you some reference here, in 1990, so 30 years ago, we closed 25,600 properties in the year 1990. And the population back then was about half of what we have right now. So in the you know 1.5, 1.6 million. So very low inventory. Price, overall, we have seen the average price in 2020 go up by about 8% when compared to 2019. And that is going up to an average price of about five twenty-five um, for the year. So it was the overall price on there as well. So keep in mind that a lot of these big price games came from the fact that we've talked about this numerous times that so many more higher end luxury product, you know, products, condos and homes, you know, the million dollar plus price range, that saw a huge amount of volume getting traded in that segment. Where in the you know the first time home buyer investor, we actually saw that you know slightly down flat kind of depending on what month you're in, but we sold so many of the the higher price properties that really you know drew up the average of the overall market as well. So I wouldn't be surprised if you know we saw prices on paper flatten out sometime this year, uh, just because we you know that luxury growth probably is not sustainable. Right now, mortgage rates are still staying about the same, uh, so there's just no indications that we're going to start seeing a slowdown in the market. And I can tell you, I'm recording this towards the end of January. This took me a little bit longer to get out for December than I would than I normally do. But even since the three and a half weeks since the new year started, it has been, I don't know, a bloodbath might be the best word to use out there when it comes to you know getting properties under contract, just because it's not common to have 10, 20 uh offers on one property and you know keep that in mind i'm just telling you that because it's very competitive out there right now but it doesn't mean that it's not impossible to find a good deal in the current market i mean we still get a couple of properties on contract uh, every week under contract during the market you know some of that is just new inventory coming along where we put together a really good offer we put backup positions in we're out there looking at inventory that's gotten stale on the market so there's still active inventory out there and go out there that makes sense in the current market which is all the growth we have going on these very low interest rates so a lot of good indicators still make sense that it's a good time to invest good time to buy for the long run but expect to maybe take out you know one or two more offers or put in one or two more offers you normally do 
run scenarios for having to go over list price as well. Because the last stat I'll share with you is the close price to list price. And this is you know basically saying, hey, for every dollar or for every dollar the price the property is listed at, are we selling above or below it? So a year ago, we were at 98.83%. So an average of properties were listed at $100, they were going under contract and closing at about 98.8 cents for every $100. Now, in December 2020, we're at 100.36%. So that means on average, homes are going are closing for higher than their list price. Again, that's no surprise. That just you know, concurs with the data of very low inventory and what we're seeing out there in the market as well. So again, there's a lot more data on here. If you want to see it, click on the show notes and I will be doing a much more deeper dive into the market here in a couple weeks. I've just updated the state of the market report. So I'll go through a much more a deep dive into some trends and also what we're seeing in performance of asset class as well. So that should be out in a few weeks or a few episodes after this current episode is out too. So check out that for a lot more details. And I'll go through all the data, go through single families, house acts, condos, townhomes, multifamilies, and try to give you a really good high-level market overview. Now, some data I really like that Your Castle publishes, which is the showings per active listing trends. So what they do is they collect all the data for... Every time uh, there's a listing and then someone uses the the common app to go out there to schedule it, which is what the vast majority of appointments are scheduled through, which is just, you know, one application. We take that data or they take that data and put it against each other. So in December, we saw just over 12 showings per active listing. Now for 2017, 2018, 2019, this time in December, we are about just under eight showings per active listing. So we're four or five more showings per active listing than they were, you know, the last few years. Again, this is not surprising because we have such low inventory. There is simply fewer properties for people to walk. So there's more people, you know, walking the same properties, which will bring up this average. And the last data point I want to share, and this is a really good article that the Denver Post published uh, just uh, about a week ago. And it states, Colorado is doing better than most. 77% of Colorado landlords recently got full rent payment. Now, there's a few things I highlight in this article. Give me a second to find them and I'll read them to you. Because this was done by a monthly survey from TurboTenant, which I'm not familiar with them. But the reason this caught my eye was that Here's what the article says. Unlike other rent surveys involving involving large apartment owners, TurboTenant's client base skews towards independent landlords with one to four properties. And about three out of the four survey respondents in Colorado fit that bill. So what's that saying is, you know, we often cite data from the Denver Apartment Association. Well, this is a different survey that's really focusing more on just, you know, mom and pop landlords, people like you and me for the most part, where the apartment association they are taking in, you know, you know, people that own 100, 200 unit apartment buildings, which is just a different type of owner and structure than what than what we have. So this is, you know, really good data for us. So if you want the full details, it's in the show note links. But continuing on with the survey results, about 44% of Colorado landlords surveyed 
owned properties in suburban areas, which are being less impacted by missed rent payments. Again, this fits from what we've heard from our other property managers last year, that the you know, suburbs and really the attached single-family homes are having the best rent collection compared to you know, other asset classes in other parts of town. So going back to another part in this survey, or this article, I should say, about the survey, I'm going to read this. Nationally, only 54% of the landlords reported collecting the full rent last month, while in Colorado, 77% of landlords received a full rent payment. Several large states were below the U.S. average, including New York at only 32% of full rent collected, Illinois at 39%, and California at 48%. So, you know, good news for Colorado landlords and also Colorado renters that, you know, we're seeing more rent payments than a lot around the country. Obviously, everyone would like to see that number higher. So what do we do with this data that we've all known that it's going to be, it's going to be a choppy 2020 and at least the first half. And I'm expecting most of 2021 to be choppy as well when it comes to rent payments. And, you know, a lot of times, you know, December, January is the hardest time for rent collections to just looking at, you know, historically data. That's when we see a lot of times the, a lot of times not being able to pay. So, you know, this kind of aligns with, you know, what, what we're seeing right now in terms of just year-end stuff, um, that's going to be lower than normal. But this is still not the sky is falling. But as I've talked about, be prepared for higher vacancy. Be prepared for more flat rents. And just be prepared to tap into cash reserves, which hopefully you're keeping on hand if need be. Right around the end of, I guess, the first week of January, I had a tenant who had to move out of my fourplex in Westminster. He just, I can't remember the issues, he either lost his job or his hours didn't come back, but he communicated with us or, you know, with the property manager and he said, you know, told us the situation uh, and, you know, there just wasn't a good solution. So we, you know, he ended his lease early and basically said, Hey, if you, if you can move out, you leave the, you know, the plate, the property clean, you know, no issues, here's your security deposit back. Let us get it rented. We'll let you move on. We'll try to make the best of the situation. And, you know, that's what happened. Um, so not not ideal, but he moved out early January. By about mid-January, I had a new tenant sign the lease. They moved in February 1st. So that was, you know, a month of vacancy right there. Uh, no lost rent from the previous tenant. So, you know, not ideal, but also not worst-case scenario either. So there are definitely situations like that. And as I mentioned on some previous podcasts, there are programs out there, and there seems to be more programs, you know, from some of the government spending out there as well, where uh, they can help tenants catch up on back rent. I've had property managers tell me about this. I've had various clients and investor colleagues, you know, forward me emails as well, where they've had tenants not pay rent for six months or nine months, and they've you know helped them figure out these programs and gotten checks for eight thousand, ten thousand, twelve thousand dollars to catch the tenant back up to rent, which is obviously good for the the tenant because they don't want to be homeless or evicted. It's also very good for the landlord because they can pay their mortgage and pay their bills. So if you're in an unfortunate situation uh, like that where you have tenants um, not able to pay their rent, make sure you research those programs. I don't know all those programs off the top of my head, so my recommendation is to go to Mr. Google or talk to a property manager get their feedback as well. I have all my properties under property management, so you know they obviously handle more of the details, and I've Luckily, not had any of my properties have to go through, you know, six months of, of back rent. 
But I've had landlords tell me stories about, you know, every month, oh, yeah, we got this tenant caught up, which is, again, great for the tenant and great for the landlord. So if you do have a tenant on, you know, back pay, I think good communication and trying to make one of those programs work is going to be the route to go because evictions are, you know, are very hard to process right now. And I'm guessing that they'll keep getting extended. Uh, one property manager told me that they actually had gone to court, gotten the eviction processed, and were actually at the property to move the person out. And the tenant uh, filled out the CDC, the Center for Disease Control, the CDC's uh, paperwork where you know it references COVID and then the tenant cannot be evicted. So obviously very frustrating for the landlord, very frustrating for the property manager, but it's also just the current lay of the land. I don't quite all understand the nuances about how the CDC form works that way, but if they fill out that CDC form, it's you know kind of like a get out of jail free card of Monopoly, where it's a get out get out of eviction card. It sounds like, so it's very hard to process evictions right now. So again, really have good communication with your tenant and research these programs if you need to. And again, as always, you know make sure you understand it's going to be choppier times this year. It's going to be very prudent to hold some high cash reserves as well. All right. If you guys have any questions, please reach out. Like I said, stay tuned for later this uh, in a few weeks and hopefully mid to late February, I'll be releasing the state of the market, which will be a very meaty podcast and blog post for how the Denver market is performing and give you an update on all the asset classes and some also some trends that we are starting to see the last six months as well. Have a great day.